0: Our scripture lesson this morning comes from 1 John 3, chapter 3, verses 16 through 24. Hear now the word of the Lord. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods And sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help. Little children, let us love. Not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God, and we receive from him whatever we ask because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit that he has given us. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks thanks be to God. God. Well, you've heard this from me many times before now, but we are still in Easter. It's not over. Just because Easter Sunday has come and gone does not mean that all of a sudden we just go back to the way things were before. Easter is one pivotal moment in the history of humanity that we come back and celebrate year after year and that we allow to transform us every single day that we have knowledge of our resurrected Lord. Easter is a season for 50 days in the liturgical calendar of the church and it is meant to be a perpetual reminder that just because the biggest day in the history of humanity that we celebrate once a year has passed doesn't mean that it isn't influencing our future. And so, during this time, we've been talking about what it means to be Easter people. People whose lives are transformed by the resurrection. Consider the impact of what happened on that first Easter Sunday, the real and present impact of it. This is the day that as soon as we fully embrace the gravity of the situation, we can recognize the revealed love of God. First John 3.16, how ironic that it lines up with John 3.16, for God so loved the world, John, 1 John 3.16 says, We know love. Remember, John 3.16, For God so loved the world. 1 John 3.16, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. We know love by this. How powerful, that God's love would be so revealed in the resurrection that it would be sufficient to teach us how to love. This is the great call to which the resurrection draws us into, the love of God. Love is a very powerful word, but we have made it kind of a wishy-washy thing. We in uh, in English-speaking culture have but one word for love. Guess what? It's love. It's just that one word, and we use it for everything. I love Taco Bell. I love dogs. I love my wife, Kristen. Just you know, and, and it, it seems like you know those are, those should be like tears of love, but it's the same word for both, and so it almost feels like I equate Taco Bell with my wife, Kristen. It depends on the day, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But the Greeks, the original language that the New Testament was written in, the language that was becoming the dominant language of uh, the day that 1 John was written, had many words for love. And each word had a different connotation for love, and you might have heard me talk about this before, but there, were, there was the word eros, which, meant passionate love, the kind of love that would be between uh, two partners. There is uh, storgi love, and this is more of familial love. There is philia, which is more of brotherly love and is differentiated from storgy in, in that it is more of like, like fraternal love. I don't know if I'm really drawing the lines clear enough here, but there is a, a, a delineation. Um, and, and, you know, we have a couple more. I think there are eight total. It depends on which translator you ask. And then we have this word here, perhaps the most common Greek word that we know, agape. Agape love. Agape love is, is quite different from all of the others because it includes a dramatic turn in how we see that person or thing which we love. Agape love is unconditional, self-sacrificial love. Unconditional meaning that whatever has been in our past between us, it is not enough to negate this love. Unconditional in the fact that no matter what you do, it's not going to be enough to negate this love. Did you know that? Did you know that there is absolutely nothing that you can do to negate the powerful love that God has for you? You could deny God over and over and over again. You could spew all kinds of hatred toward God and it would never negate that powerful love that God has for you. Peter, who denied Christ three times, right outside his, his, Jesus' own trial was reinstated. Unconditional love and self-sacrificial love. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. Now, I think we might be able to come to some sort of agreement that God is an all-powerful God. Yes, yes perhaps, maybe, if not, that's all right. But to some extent, God is an all-powerful God. God is able. So then, why, and I used to think about this question far too often, did God choose our path for salvation in the way that God chose? Why become humbled as a human being? God, the divine, taking on human form, why that route? Why, as a lowly human being with absolutely no material possessions to his name, as Jesus Jesus goes on into his ministry, why, as a human who would be tortured, a brutal torturing, why, as a human who would experience utter humiliation, why die for us? Surely there could have been another way. Surely, right? I mean, I I, I certainly don't have the the vast expanse of of wisdom and knowledge that God does, but I feel like the whole process of salvation of an all-powerful God could be just as easy as the creation of all of this. With a single word, let there be salvation. But God doesn't choose this path. Instead, God chooses the path that is humbling, even humiliating, that is brutally painful, and endures the same experience that we as human beings endure, finality. This God, our God, chooses this path to prove that that love, which we have been talking about for millennia now, that that love is not so flippant, that that love is meaningful, that that love is real, that that agape is actually self-sacrificial in nature, that God would give up everything just to be closer to us. How often do we do that for one another? Perhaps there are people in your in your life that 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 you have sacrificed some amount to be closer to. Perhaps consider the ultimate sacrifice. We ought to lay down our lives for one another. And First John continues on and and gets into this uh, into this really like starts using a lot of jargon that just starts to get a little bit confusing, like our hearts condemning us, but yet uh, we have this boldness before God because we obey his commandments. Verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. All who obey his commandments abide in him, and he abides in them. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit that he has given us. That word abide, what a beautiful word. We don't use it near often enough. To abide. To abide implies an intimate connection. To abide implies that there is going to be something here that is unusual to abide, is to be in harmony. Another Greek word uh, that's, that's a really fun word to use is this word perichoresis. Now, I'm not going to ask you to remember that word, but it's a pretty fun word, perichoresis. This is the word from which we, after it gets translated into Latin and then eventually into English, we get the word choreography from. Um, perichoresis is a so There's a compound word, peri, which is Greek, to go around, peri, to go around, choresis, You hear the uh, prefix to choreography there, as in a dance, koresis, Chore, uh, as in a dance. So perichoresis, to go around as in a dance. This word, Greek word, was used by the early church people to describe the Trinity, that the relationship of the Trinity, that there is this notion that the three persons of the Trinity are in this divine dance, moving in one another's space and around one another in this elegant form. Then, eventually, that term perichoresis became expounded to include one other person. Us. Sure, we're more than one other person, but yes, us. Us to include humanity in the divine dance. This notion that as God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer, are moving in this elegant, beautiful dance. I sometimes picture it as a little salsa because it's spicy. (laughs) But in this elegant dance around one another, and humanity is included in this, and they're moving around in such a beautiful, circular way, what happens is each ends up making room for the other. Making room for the other. If you've ever danced with a partner before, you, you notice that there is this point where if I were to step forward, the other person would step back and suddenly I have they have made room for me and I have entered their space. Likewise, I might step back and they might enter into my space and we have this whole little thing going on here that's We're constantly occupying one another's space, constantly getting into the world of the other person, being where they once were, and then they return to that space and are in the space that we once were. This is the choreography, the divine dance. And so whenever we're talking about what it means to abide in God, I want you to picture this. The perichoresis, the divine dance in which we and God are constantly occupying one another's space, constantly in this motion, this movement, turning and allowing the other one to enter and to move us, to guide us, to lead us. You feel that harmony. Oh, it's such a good feeling whenever you're dancing with somebody and all of a sudden it all just starts to move and you kind of get in the zone and it's that harmonious feeling of understanding this is what it means to abide. The Israelite people used a different word for it, shalom. And shalom is a, in the Old Testament, we most often translate it as peace. This is an adequate translation for it, but it is also limited. The word shalom also means completeness, harmony, wholeness, things as they were intended to be. We come back to Genesis chapter 1 for a moment, and at the end of each day of creation, can you remember what God said? It is good, good. yes! God looks upon creation and says, it is good. Uh, That that Hebrew word there, it is good, is tov. And yes, you have to say it with such, uh, such like a grueling tone, tov. Tov means things as they should be. Shalom incorporates an attribute of tov to say things as they were meant to be, things as they were intended to be, in harmony, complete, peaceful, whole. And so this this was the Israelite concept of it that we find in the Old Testament, this notion that our relationship with God is meant to be Peaceful, but also complete, and also harmonious, and also whole, as it was intended to be. Do you remember what the first people's relationship with God was like? They walked with God in the garden. And it wasn't just some abstract concept of God. They could hear God walking the, the, this physical presence of God. They knew God intimately in that time and space. And they, confer, they conversed with God in a very informal manner. This is what it means to abide. So I want you to remember those two terms, perichoresis, the divine dance, and shalom, harmony, wholeness, things as they were intended to be. As we talk about what it means to be Easter people, people of love, I know we've, I've been using a lot of uh, Greek and Hebrew uh, jargon up in here, but but it's important for us to understand the context from which these verses are coming from, because this word love that uh, that John is just throwing out here. It's not the same kind of love that we talk about, that I'm over here saying, I love Taco Bell. It is by no way equivalent. I would not lay down my life for Taco Bell, believe it or not. This kind of love is the love that calls us to abide in God, in the divine dance, as we were intended to be, in perfect, intimate harmony with God. And it requires love agape love. And so the question remains, do we know how to love? Might be kind of a silly question, because we are kind of born innately understanding how to love. But as we grow, that understanding of love develops. And uh, as many of you know, I'm in a program in uh, clinical mental health counseling right now, and we, uh, we talk about um, developmental psychologists who track people through the lifespan to explore how their consciousness develops, their personality develops, what it means to be a human being grows and flourishes. And we see that human beings, whenever we're first born, Though we are born innately understanding how to love, it is a love of perfect dependence. And we talked about this last week, to depend entirely on something else for our survival. As infants, we cannot hope to go any further in life without that utter dependence and reliance. But as we grow, as we mature, that love begins to expand a little bit. And we have our family unit and then as we enter adolescence it expands into a larger worldview of friends and then as we grow a little bit older and start to mature and around the age 25 ish whenever our prefrontal cortex finishes developing we have the capacity then to enter into a life stage which uh, which Eric Erickson called generativity or Abraham Maslow called self-actualization, to be the best human being that we can be for the sake of others. Self-actualization, as as Maslow called it, was this, this process of being the best version of ourselves, that eventually we get to this point where all of our basic needs, our survival needs, and then our love and belongingness needs are met, And we eventually realize that all that we have and all that we are can be given. And This is what Eric Erickson called generativity, this life stage in which we want to give back to people. This is the kind of love that we are called to grow into. And so whenever I ask the question, do we know how to love? I think of this in in two areas. I personally think of it in four areas, but for today we're just going to talk about it in two areas love of God and love of one another. The love of God part, we say, we generally tend to think we've got that down a little bit better because it should be simple, right? Well, the love of God, as John unpacks it, is also wrapped up in the love of one another. That's what we get here. Whenever we, whenever we get to verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. And why is this important? Verse 22, we receive from him whatever we ask because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. This is his commandment. All who obey his commandments abide in him. You see how John is weaving this, this elegant tapestry that's calling us To grow into a greater kind of love. The kind of love that calls us into the perichoresis, the divine dance. The kind of love that calls us into shalom, into this beautiful harmony and wholeness. John is trying to to connect all of these pieces for us to say, and now, do you know how to love? Let's take a few steps back and see that it has already been shown to us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. We know love by this, by what God has done. So whenever I'm asking the question, do we know how to love? The answer should be yes, we know how to love because we have seen it done. Now, when does it actually go outward? Because as John is saying, we know love by this, he then adds on. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Here's the beautiful part, though. Verse 18, little children, let us love not in word or speech, not in word or speech, but in truth and action. Let us love not in word and speech, but in truth and action. Why? Because words are fleeting. My goodness, how easy it is to say, I love something. How much harder it is to show that I love something, how much more complicated it is to actually live into that mindset of love, to be transformed by that amount of love. And then here, in conjunction with this, and we take a step back here into verse 17, hear how compelling this argument for love is. Verse 17, how does God's love abide? There's that word again. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? I want that to sit in. Hear these words once more. How does God's love abide in anyone? Anyone means anyone. You're not excluded. I'm not excluded. There isn't a person on the planet who is excluded from this anyone phrase. How does God's love abide in anyone who has the world's goods and sees a brother or sister in need and yet refuses to help? Why is that? Because the love of God is something that's supposed to extend beyond us. It's not a selfish love. It's a selfless love. It's a giving love, a love that extends outward beyond. How can we honestly say that the love of God abides in us and that we abide in God if we have the world's goods yet see someone in need and refuse to help? And now here's where it gets a little more complicated because we like to throw our own interpretation on the word goods, the world's goods. Interestingly, it doesn't, it doesn't specifically say who have, those who have wealth. Because the world's goods are not just wealth. There is also power and status, privilege, fame, knowledge. The world's goods are plentiful beyond just financial. The world's goods are expansive. Here we sit in an enclosed space. We have the world's goods, even right here in this place that looks like it's falling apart. There are many who do not even have an enclosed space to find shelter. When we're talking about the world's goods, we're talking about any amount of something which another person might not have. And so when we tie this back to agape love, the love that says we ought to lay down our lives for one another, what we are talking about here is a love that is willing and even desperate to care for another human being no matter the sacrifice it takes. Financial, financial our power, our status, whatever we may have that someone else doesn't have. It is a love that invites every single human being on the face of the planet into this beautiful concept we call belongingness. To look upon another person and not just say you are included, Inclusivity is limited, but to look upon another person and say, you belong here, not just that we would like to include you, but you, you've had a space here all along, whether that be in this church, whether that be in my life, whether that be in the extension of my finances or any other world, worldly goods that I have. It is looking upon another human being and saying, you belong here. Why, because we know love by this, God did it first. God looked upon each and every person who has ever been, who was and who will ever be in every aspect of their life, good, bad, and ugly, and said, you belong here in my embrace. In my love. This is the agape love of God. The love that draws us together as a community of faith, as a people desperate to care for one another. When we are talking about being Easter people, we are talking about being people of agape love. People who abide in God and who and in whom God abides. We are talking about being people who extend this love out to all human beings. And so, my challenge for us this week. As Easter people, lay down your lives for one another. Now, I'm not asking you to go into some kind of like actually losing your life sort of fashion. Please don't do that. Martyrdom doesn't isn't going to help anybody in our current climate. But rather, to lay down your life in the things to which you cling. The goods of the world. The things that you feel might matter to you more than other people do. Because that's what God did. Abandoned heaven for earth left divinity for humanity because God looked upon you and said you are worth it and we know love by this. Now let us go to look upon our brothers and sisters with the same worth and love them with the same unconditional self-sacrificial love and let us pray.